0: James Webb has a problem with one of its most important instruments. SLS completes a crucial test before its next launch attempt. Europe wants to rival Crew Dragon and Starliner, and a new quasar is about to be born. All that and more in this week's episode of Space Bites. Hi, everyone. I'm Fraser Kane. I'm the publisher of Universe Today. I've been a space and astronomy journalist for over 20 years, and this is our Space Bites, short, bite-sized stories of space and astronomy news that happened this week. All right, let's get into the news. SLS fuel test is complete. All right, so for the last couple of episodes, you've been having a lot of fun. SLS has been delayed. I predicted it. Nostradamus, but it obviously... You know, I'm not really predicting anything. This is perfectly natural for the launch of the first time using Space Launch System. But this is it for real. They're serious now. Um, this week, NASA did another test filling up SLS and trying to track the source of these hydrogen leaks. And we got an announcement that NASA completed the fuel test. There was still some hydrogen leak, but it's dramatically less. And according to the people at NASA, this is good enough for them. They're happy with the results. Everything is go for launch. So the plan is to launch SLS on September 27th. So what do I think? I like their odds now. I think that with these fuel leaks, mostly found and minimized, everything else seems to be in line. We're pretty much at the point now where weather is going to be the only thing that's going to delay the launch of SLS, or some other big problem that no one is was expecting. If they don't launch on September 27th, they've got one more window on October 2nd. And if that doesn't work, they're going to have to roll the rocket back to the vehicle assembly building, recharge the batteries, refit various pieces and get prepared. So then we're looking at a late October launch, maybe even a November launch. We'll see what happens. But but I I like the odds. I think this is it. This is the one. Hopefully, by this time next week, we will all be talking about how a space launch system launched and how this incredibly powerful rocket blasted off and is on its way to the moon. We got a couple of updates on the SpaceX Starship system. We saw the super heavy booster number seven tested on the launch pad. And in this case, they were able to fire up seven of its Raptor two engines simultaneously. Nothing exploded. I mean, I guess in the way that rocket fuel is very explosive, but looks like the rocket was fine. They've taken booster seven back to their assembly building. And now they're going to be rolling out booster eight. And it's going to go through its own versions of tests. So the next step is to test with more of the Raptor engines firing simultaneously, eventually getting into the 30s. Now, when is it going to launch? Well, Musk gave us a couple of details this week, he went on a bit of a Twitter stream, um, mentioning a whole bunch of information. And the key is he thinks that Starship is going to make an orbital flight in October sometime, more likely November. But of course, you're going to want to multiply that by the Musk time effect. So December, but then the weather could be bad, maybe January weather still bad, maybe February, March. I like March is my guess. But According to Musk, it could be as early as October, which will be pretty exciting. James Webb, James Webb, James Webb. I've got some good news and I've got some bad news about James Webb. So let's start with the bad news and then we'll get on to the good news. The bad news is there's a problem with one of the instruments on board James Webb, and it's a big one. It's the Mid-Infrared Instrument or MIRI. MIRI has four observation modes and one of those modes, the mid-resolution spectroscopy mode, seems to be malfunctioning a little bit. Engineers were working with the telescope, they were tracking as they were using this observation mode, and they detected friction in the grating as it shifts to try and move to that observation mode. Now we've shared images and animations of the filter wheel on James Webb. And I'm sure you're kind of imagining this big wheel that's turning. And that's not the problem on Webb. It's actually a smaller wheel that moves through a couple of modes where that friction is coming from. So they decided to shut down observations with that mode, but they're still able to observe with the Miri instrument and the other instruments on board James Webb. What's the cause? We don't know we're gonna to have to wait and find out. So it's going to not be able to use that one mode, but it will be able to observe targets in different wavelengths and continue doing the science operations. And then hopefully, once they figured out what the cause is, they'll be able to catch up using the that one mode that they weren't able to use. Now onto the good news. We got an incredible image of Neptune seen by Webb. And when you look at this image in the infrared, one of the really cool features is you can see the rings. Now we've known that Neptune has these dusty rings. They were observed by the Voyager spacecraft back in 1989. But we really haven't seen them since then because they're very faint and very dusty. But Webb is an infrared instrument. It's designed to see faint, dusty objects including rings. And so you get this image of Neptune and its rings. You can see some of the storms on the planet. You can see moons, you can see Triton, which is this really large moon that is orbiting around Neptune. And it's just great to be able to see these parts of the planet again for the first time, really since 1989. So thanks to Webb and the infrared view, we've been reacquainted with Neptune in these wavelengths. We've got another image from Webb. And in this case, we're looking at Mars. Now, it used two different wavelengths. First, it used the 2.1 micron infrared wavelength, and then it looked at the 4.3 micron infrared wavelength. And so remember, right, infrared, is heat. And so when Webb is looking at Mars, it's looking at the reflected radiation that has been absorbed by Mars, and then it's being emitted in the form of heat. And different kinds of surfaces on Mars will give off different amounts of infrared radiation. And so they're able to map out minerals across the surface of Mars using this infrared radiation. Taking the same which was actually kind of tough because Mars is incredibly bright. It's one of the brightest objects in the sky from the perspective of Webb, right? It's blocking the Sun, the brightest object, it's blocking the moon, it's blocking the Earth. And what are you left with? You left with Jupiter, Saturn, and Mars as like the three brightest objects in the sky. And in this case, looking at Mars was really tricky because if they did any long observation the way Webb is mostly designed to do, and totally blow out, fill up the CCD sensors. So they had to do a series of really short exposures and then add together the data from those short exposures to create these more detailed images. So I wouldn't expect to see a lot more images of Mars. It's a fairly tricky observation to make, but still very cool to see Webb pointing at various places here inside the solar system, not to mention all of this Cool nebulae and galaxies that we've been seeing in previous weeks. Europe is building its own crew capsule. We got some really cool images of Europe's new smart upper stage for innovative exploration, or SUSE. And it kind of looks like a mini starship when you take a look at it. And it actually kind of behaves like a starship. So it's designed to fly to orbit dock with the space station, carry like seven tons of orbit into space, or five passengers. And then the whole capsule can then return back to Earth. And it does a belly flop to bleed off some of its excess energy. And then it uses a propulsive landing to land safely. But it's not really a starship, because it still needs an expendable upper stage to carry it into orbit. And when you look at this Vehicle, it's actually more akin to, say, a Crew Dragon or the Starliner. But in the case of, say, Crew Dragon, they've got that trunk that is behind that is disposable, and then the top part, the capsule returns to Earth and lands with parachutes and is is recovered. And in the case of this, it doesn't dispose of the trunk section. So really, it's like a Crew Dragon with its trunk, if Crew Dragon landed the whole thing back on Earth. Now, it's great. I mean, it's still another step towards full reusability, except for the upper stage and the booster stage. But still, it's great to see various countries around the world moving towards reusable rocketry a huge galaxy is about to become a quasar. Quasars are some of the brightest objects in the entire universe. We've got this central core of a giant galaxy that is giving off more radiation than the rest of the galaxy combined. And we now know that what this is, is a supermassive black hole at the heart of this galaxy is actively feeding on material and blasting out radiation, kind of in like a beam in our general direction. And we know of quasars because they're so bright, we can detect them. But they had to get ready before they could turn into a quasar. And now astronomers have found an example of a galaxy that is preparing to become a quasar. We're seeing this galaxy where the light has taken about 12 billion years to get to us. So it's just a little over a billion years after the beginning of the universe. And when astronomers measured the amount of gas and material in the surroundings, it would, should be a quasar shortly. And so, in the next few hundreds of millions, billions of years, all of that gas and dust will fall into the central core of this galaxy and it will turn on as a quasar. But it's really cool to see the conditions before the quasar actually gets going. A sun like star found orbiting a nearby black hole. Now, this is a very cool story, and it used one of my favorite spacecraft. Gaia. And so astronomers were looking for an example of a star and a black hole orbiting around each other, or I guess, the star orbiting around a black hole, because black holes have much more times the mass than a star. And so they looked through over 160,000 binary stars, where a star was moving, showing that it was in orbit around something. And most of these were other stars, neutron stars, white dwarfs, etc., but they were able to filter them all down and they found one of them that appears to be a star orbiting around a black hole. And what's cool is that it's a star like our sun, a main sequence sun-like star. The black hole has about 10 times the mass of the sun, and the black hole is invisible. But the astronomers were able to detect the motion of the star backwards and forwards as it was orbiting around this black hole. And they were able to determine and calculate the mass and its presence there. Very cool. Yet another way to detect exoplanets. All right, astronomers have figured out a new way to detect exoplanets. And I'm a little nervous to tell you because it's going to open up a whole bunch of new Lagrange questions. For the question show but i i've got to do my job here and i will explain it so what happened was astronomers were studying a relatively young planetary disk around a new forming star just a couple of million years old so the astronomers detected these two blobs of dust moving around the star and they were separated by 120 degrees in other words one was 60 degrees ahead in orbit of something, and the other was behind 60 degrees, something. And of course, that matches the Trojan belts that we have here in the solar system. You've got this blob of asteroids ahead of Jupiter in its orbit and behind Jupiter in its orbit, we have the same thing with the Earth and so on. And these are the Lagrange points, the L4 and the L5 points, the places which are gravitationally stable. And so from this, astronomers were able to calculate that there must be a Saturn or Neptune massed planet in orbit around this star. They couldn't detect the planet, but they detected it by the presence of the Trojan belts in the Lagrange point. So cool. Get ready for DART. On September 26th, we're going to see NASA's DART mission crash into an asteroid. This is the double asteroid redirection test, which is currently on its way to meet up with asteroid Didymus and its moon Dimorphus. And on the 26th, the mission is going to fly directly into Dimorphus and attempt to shift its orbit a tiny little bit. And what's amazing about this, of course, is now we've got all this modern camera gear, communication systems. And so we're gonna get images taken about a second apart as this spacecraft is careening into its target. It's gonna be sending all of this data home. And so we'll probably get like a video showing the Astro getting closer and closer and closer, and then nothing. Now all of the world's observatories are going to be watching this impact, as well as a tiny cubesat that is going to be on board the DART mission It's going to that has already attached itself, and it's going to try and capture the impact as it happens. And so hopefully, we will be able to detect that the orbit of Dimorphos has moved a tiny little bit. And that will allow astronomers to calculate what it would take to shift a dangerous asteroid, if they found that one was on its way. So on September you know, NASA is going to have live coverage of this. It's just a few days away. It won't be until after when we do our next space bite. So I guess we'll be sharing images of what happened. But just a reminder, on the 26th, make sure you watch the live coverage of this impact. It's going to be really cool. Well, we're out of the hiatus, we're back, and we've got lots and lots of really cool content. The QAs are now coming back out. And of course, we record these question shows live every Monday at 5pm. So if you want to join us, but you can just watch them here on YouTube as well. We've got a ton of interviews, I did an interview with Lee McIntyre about how to talk to science deniers I had an interview with Les Johnson about solar sail missions and I talked to Brian Keating about whether or not the Big Bang actually happened. Uh, Spoiler alert, it did. So I've got a ton more interesting interviews coming up, more QAs, more content. If you were starved for space information over hiatus, hopefully you're getting your fill again. We're also posting our Meet the Team interviews on the Universe Today podcast feed. So if you want to learn about the very large team that works with us here at Universe Today, you will want to check out our podcast, we've already got one interview with Nancy Graziano, there's more coming, you'll get a chance to meet the rest of the team. And if you want to talk about space and astronomy, you should join our discord. Now there's conversations happening all the time. But on every Wednesday, we do a special voice chat with me, And my producer Anton, and you, and we talk live about space and astronomy topics, all the big news that's happening this week. That's our discussion club. So if you want to be a part of that, come join us on the Discord server. And there'll be an invite to Discord in the show notes below. All right. Those were all the stories that we had this week. Now, if you want more information, you want a deep dive, link to Universe Today and other sources for that information, all of the links are in the show notes down below. You can also get even more space news in my weekly email newsletter. I send it out every Friday to more than 55,000 people. I write every word. There are no ads, and it's absolutely free. Subscribe at university.com slash newsletter. You can also subscribe to the Universe Today podcast. There you can find an audio version of all our news, interviews, and Q&As, as well as exclusive content. Subscribe at universetoday.com podcast, or search for Universe Today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. A huge thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon and helps us stay independent. Thanks to all the interplanetary researchers, the interstellar adventurers, and the galaxy wanderers. And a special thanks to Josh Schultz and Andrew M. Gross, who support us at the master of the universe level. All your support means the universe to us. All right, that was all the news for today. We will see you next week after the DART mission, after the SLS launch. It's going to be a good week.